We are in session seven of the tech and social media series. And this week we talked about the whole idea of community and connection and relationships. These tools that we now use with digital technology and, and the, the networks that we're a part of with social media have redefined community in a very basic sense. And so we looked at how we should, as a church community, interact with that and how we can combat it with true and deep community as Christians. In my childhood years, I was accustomed to go outside, run around, play sports with the friends that would actually um, that were actually in my neighborhood. So we would fight into teams, play baseball in the front yard, grab our bikes or our scooters, ride around the neighborhood just for hours. This this was my social network. That was my community of friends. Now, as the middle school years hit, that social network started to change. We began to stay indoors a lot more, playing PlayStation or Dreamcast was big at the time. And there would still be a group of us that would get together, but it was becoming less and less frequent. And we all started to have different interests, and we began to fill our time with friends that shared those interests. And also, we began to spend more time alone on our home desktop computers, talking to friends on AOL. And the social network of the neighborhood began to fade. And by the time we were in high school, either because people had moved away or or whatnot, we rarely talked to one another. So that childhood community is one that I look back on a lot. I think about it and and I cherish it. I praise God that I I had those neighborhood friends to play sports, run through the creek in my backyard, go to the pool together. But what strikes me about all of this is how natural those relationships were in my childhood. We were friends for the simple reason that we lived in the same neighborhood. It's not because we all were interested in this activity or that activity. It was simply because we wanted to be friends with one another. And here's the basic truth that I gleaned from all of this, specifically my own experience. It's that we are relational beings. So when we look at technology, which we know plays a major part in forming our culture, a culture that consists in relational beings then it's evident that technology molds and shapes our relationships. So how have our social networks changed in light of digital technology and social media? That's what we talked about. First, I I want to direct our students to the purpose that social media and social media platforms have in and of themselves. Like what, what mission do they purport to have? And Facebook... Uh, being the one that we chose to study. Facebook says its purpose is to make the world more open, more connected. So at the core of Facebook's mission is a concern about people's relationships. Not a shocking thing. And considering they have more than 2 billion users over across the globe, I'm sure they've succeeded to some extent to make the world more open and more connected. But it leads us to ask the question of what does it mean to connect with people? Or at least what is Facebook trying to imply in terms of what true connection is? Is is true connection satisfied by 
becoming friends on Facebook and posting on one another's wall or profile. Facebook this presumably leads us to say yes to that. But also, we know there's more to the connection, more to a friendship than that, which is why we have seen, actually, Facebook expand their mission a little bit. They have, they have recently, um, I think this was either last year or the year before, stated that their new purpose is to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. It's a subtle change. It's still wrapped up in connecting more people but it inserts the more positive language of building community and bringing people closer together. So it's a positive connection, one that's characterized further by this idea of community. In an article with Forbes, Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, he says, the shift in focus is spurred, is, um, spurred on by his desire to see more supportive community groups being built in light of what he sees as a decline in community. He went and did this whole tour where, uh, of like town halls all across America. And one of the things he noticed was that the supportive community groups are on the decline. People are complaining about this. There's not supportive communities for them to be a part of. So Zuckerberg says he wants to be a part of fixing that. This is the quote that he gave in the article. It says, connecting friends and family has been pretty positive for Facebook. But I think there is just this collective feeling that we have a responsibility to do more than that and also help build communities and help people get exposed to new perspectives and meet new people. Not just give people a voice, but also help build common ground so people can actually move forward together. So how does Zuckerberg see supportive community groups being built and sustained? He says there must be common ground. There must be shared beliefs or common interests. And this he identifies as a key component, if not the essential component, of building supportive communities and the initiative of Facebook. Nonetheless, if we do not stop and consider these concepts of connection and community that these platforms are offering us, we may not see that it's a hollow promise. It's actually leading us further and further away from true community. Now, we can highly, highly commend the fact that these platforms have enabled us to um, expand our relationships a little bit. I don't want to focus on the positives, although there are positive, positives. There are good things that have come in terms of relationship and community from digital technology and social media. Um, but I'm going to focus on the deficiencies um, and then compare that with how the church solves the deficiencies of being dependent on digital community. So we must see the di deficiencies of digital connection and the communities that they encourage us to build. Once we observe these deficiencies, we can observe how the story of Christianity and the church community richly answer these deficiencies. So the first deficiency we can see is that we are now hyper-social people living with an insatiable need for constant communication. We're not simply more social. We have actually entered in, into the state of being hyper-social. We are constantly connected to other people. We are always reachable. We are always in communion 
with our friends. We're always communicating with them. We're always communicating with people. And while this can help us sustain some good relationships, generally speaking, this leads us to communicate with more people, but on a more shallow level. Tim Challies noted in his book, we, we now find that more communication actually leads to less communication, or at least less real-world communication and less significant communication. So simply communicating more or being hypersocial does not necessarily lead to deeper and more satisfying relationships. In fact, it could have the, the opposite effect. Hypersociality and constant communication may lead to shallower relationships. So in this sense, social media is selling uh, its consumers false hope, offering more connection and community, but providing a medium that inherently limits and possibly works against those goals. The result is many of us have very, very few deep relationships. We have very few deep relationships. We have a lot of Facebook friends or Instagram followers. But of all those people, those hundreds of people, we're not necessarily true friends with them. And we can usually distinguish between them and those who we would honestly label as a friend. Because we know friendship's something deeper than just communicating. It's more than being on the social, the same social media platform as another person. It's more than just having someone's phone number or even being in the same room as a person. Friendship's deeper than all of those things. So because friendship requires something deeper than mere connection or communication, our quest for true friendship means that we have to identify social media and digital technology as something that will leave us wanting. We can't depend on those things for true friendship. Number two, a deficiency of digital community. Our communities are now no longer limited by geographical location. So typically we think, right now, we think of our community um, in terms of communication. So it usually maximizes at communication. In other words, we define our community by who we talk to. But we know true friendship and community is deeper than that. It's not about simply talking to people. And this, But because of this, it's led us to extend our community beyond our geographical location. If communities, think about this, if communities maximize that communication, and if digital technology and social media equip us to communicate beyond geographical location, then that means that our, community, our communities are more physically scattered. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It allows us to be able to communicate and connect with people all around the world, appreciate different perspectives and alternative views and opinions. And this may even help us keep in touch with friends that have moved away or perhaps go to a different um, school but live or go to a different um, you know, school but go to the same church or you know things like that. Nonetheless... As we talked about this in our identity session, mediation is not the primary form of communication. It's not the ideal form of communication. Face-to-face, unmediated relationships should be our priority. It is in our face-to-face, unmediated relationships where we grow deep relationships. 
are building communities beyond the limitations of geographical location indirectly discourages this prioritization of unmediated relationships because we don't have to actually be face to face right so this is a big big issue i think we we struggle with this in our own student group it's hard to actually foster relationships because so many of our students, although they gather here physically um, on Sundays or Wednesdays, we have over a dozen different schools represented. Many people live 30 minutes uh, north of here. Many people live 30 minutes east of here or south of here. I mean, think about that. That's an hour difference from when they actually live and where a hub of their life is. So we, we are so geographically disconnected that sometimes it's hard for us as a student group to actually build relationships because that requires consistency and, you know, get what I'm saying there? The geographical, the ex- the extension of community beyond geographical location does not help with developing deep relationships because it doesn't encourage face-to-face um, relationships on a consistent basis. So... That's a whole other thing. More about that is we talked about in uh, mediation and this understanding of identity a few sessions back. But number three, a deficiency of digital community. Our community is now personalized and individualized. So even more important to note with this scheme is the exaltation of self and personal preference in terms of community. Because the formation of community is no longer limited to geographical location, we can now choose what community we would like to, to belong to or not belong to. So shared interests rather than shared space now define community. Like for me, and when I was growing up, my friendships, my community was defined by shared space, our neighborhood. Now a student, uh, my same age at that time, can define his or her community by who, who he plays with on Xbox, who she talks to on this social media platform, who she engages with on this chat room or this group or whatnot, right? So it's, it's teaching us and training us to personalize and individualize our communities and to join together based on shared interests rather than shared space. So we choose our relationships kind of from this foundation of consumerism, like we're deciding which fast food restaurant to go to. And because of this, the community becomes completely individualized, where we're simply networked individuals. We're just coming together as individuals who share things in common. We only partake in the community simply out of care for our own interests and not for the interest of the community itself. And as we see in Scripture, just one principle that's really, really important with this is that pride is the greatest hindrance to to true community. Pride is the greatest hindrance to true community. Not diversity, not differences. Pride. Because humility is a necessary virtue in relating to others. We see this in the beginning verses of Philippians chapter 2. So if we only partake in community because we have shared interests then the community is only held together by personal preference. So when community begins to cost us something or become difficult, which it will, 
We have the overwhelmingly easy option just to simply leave the community. When our personal interests are no longer being met, we can opt out, locate another community that will better serve my needs. Very, very dangerous understanding and foundation for community. Last deficiency, our community lacks diversity. This is so, so dangerous. The Because our communities are built by shared common interests and because we can opt in and opt out, it follows then that the community usually consists in people who have uniformity in certain opinions and preferences. We begin to join communities that look like us, that share all the things in common. True community, though, is not expressed in uniformity, but in unity. Not uniformity, but unity. And unity is most beautiful when it is expressed with diversity. You see, it's easy to unite things and people that look the same, think the same, share the same interests. It's difficult, however, to build unity among diverse people and preferences. And it is in this triumph, this victory over this difficulty of diversity, where the unity is seen as most powerful and most beautiful. See, a collection of various instruments harmonizing together is more beautiful than a group of the same instrument playing the same note together. So unity is most, communities are most beautiful when you see the power of unity in diversity. So while our monotone communities not only lack beauty, they also lack power to sustain itself and interact well with other communities. As we talked about a few sessions ago regarding information and ideas, a lack of diversity in our community creates echo chambers for ideas, and this leads us just to be more and more opinionated and hostile to those who don't share those ideas. So if we don't experience and tolerate diversity within our own communities, we will find it more and more difficult to tolerate diversity outside of our communities. So our communities today lack diversity, and I think we're losing a beautiful, powerful aspect of community when we don't have diversity in our communities. So now that we've seen the relational deficiencies, I think, of digital community and social media, I want to compare that with the kind of community we're called to in the gospel. I think the Christian community is supposed to be beautiful and powerful. First, we need to clarify a few things. Number one, God is relational. One of the distinct claims of the Christian theology is that our God is Trinitarian. And just think about this. That means that God's a community. He exists in relationship. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons of the Trinity, being distinct from one another as one God. And this is what it means that God is love. He exists in eternal, as an eternal loving relationship between those three persons. So at the foundation of the Christian story, we have a paradigm of relationship, of community. Community and relationship flow out of the very nature of God for Christians. And it flows primarily to our design as human beings. Number two, we're relational beings made in God's image. God designed human beings in his image to point to him, represent him, and his lordship in creation. And since God is relational, and since human beings are made in his image... It follows that human beings are relational beings. 
We see the story in Genesis as God brings order and function to his good creation. One of the first things that he labels as not good was that man was alone. We were made to be in relationship with God and others. Richard Plass and James Cofield uh, wrote this book called The Relational Soul. And this is what they say. Relationships are not just important priorities. They are essential for our physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Essential. They are essential to our well-being as humans. According to our design as human beings, we will best operate in the world when we have healthy relationships with our creator and other human beings. Nevertheless, because of the fall, because of Genesis chapter 3, because of the distortion and disruption of our design due to sin, our relationships are fundamentally flawed. When we see the entrance of sin into the world, we see the effects of sin primarily through a a relational lens. So sin causes alienation from God, bondage to self, and conflict with others. I often tell this to our students as the ABCs of the consequences of sin. A, alienation from God. B, bondage to sin or self. C, conflict with others. And then I lead this to the gospel restoring and sustaining our relationships. That's the number three. The gospel restores and sustains our relationships. The good news of Jesus is that our relationships, which were distorted and disrupted by sin, are restored through Jesus, his perfect life, atoning death, victorious resurrection, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So you have the gospel ABCs. Our alienation was God, with God was, was restored by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Our bondage to self was restored by us being filled with the Holy Spirit. Kind of cheated there, but it's still a B. And see, our conflict with others is actually restored in the gospel by being brought into the family of God in the church community. So the church community is a means by which our conflict with others can be restored. So as it pertains to the current cultural trends regarding community, we need to look at the Christian community, the church, the family of God, as described in Scripture, in order to see what restored community should look like. And the book of Acts shows us this this great picture of Christian community. It's in vivid contrast to our culture's understanding of community. Acts 2, 42 through 47 is a big chunk of scripture that I read for our students to emphasize this. But in that passage, you see that they, they meet regularly. They shared meals with one another. They shared their possessions with one another. And ultimately, they have this deep mutual love for one another. And God also says that, that, that he added people to that community. So true healthy communities multiply. They're not these inclusive communities. They are communities that multiply. And notice that the practices of the community are so interconnected. They fellowship with one another regularly and face-to-face as a basic component and overflow of their love for one another. Most, most important, the church is not simply painted as a community of networked individuals joined together by shared interests. 
The church is the body of Christ, thicker than blood, joined together by a deep unity, a shared union with God. It's made up of people from every tribe, nation, tongue, proclaiming the great unifier of the gospel through diversity, where the basis of mutual love is not on preference or compatibility, but on shared kinship in Christ. So two specific features of this community should be compared to this modern digital version of community. Number one, the church is an involuntary community. Since the church is formed not by shared interest, but by the work of Christ, we do not get to choose our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's in the sense of an involuntary community. It's like our family. We don't get to choose our family. We don't get to choose our church family. And so in this way, it's an involuntary community where we have to have grit and grace to actually love one another. The basis of our community is not that we're um, simply sharing beliefs about certain things. The basis of our community is that we are family in Christ and therefore we love one another. So that requires grit and grace and intentionality, not just going with the flood of emotion that comes from thinking the same way. The second thing that the church does in contrast to modern digital communities, the church exercises unity with diversity. God has chosen to build his family with a bunch of diversity. And it's often the case that the members of that body are incompatible. So the church is this beautiful picture of an involuntary community with incompatible members. And that's what makes the church community so special. There's one body with many different gifts, skills, and talents. And so that, that variety brings about a greater beauty to the unity. So even as we look forward at the picture of new creation, we see that the restoration of creation and community consists in people from every nation, from all tribes, and people and languages. The Christian community is so rich with diversity. And I think this is important to note for two reasons. Number one, it trains us in divine love, teaching us to love members of the church that are not like us. And number two, it displays the beauty and glory of God by showing how the church is supposed to be a sociological miracle. The church community should be miraculous. You've got involuntary community with incompatible members, but yet there's deep love and affection for one another. That's a sociological miracle made only possible by the work of Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. It's remarkable. So I gave some nudges and disciplines to our students for how they can live life together, live in true community as we're called to as a Christian. I'll give these to you quickly. Um, you can note them in the PDF that's available at the church website. Um, but here they are real quickly. Four nudges, environmental changes to help us pursue community better. Number one, prioritize quality over quantity of communication. The hyper social culture we're engulfed in will smother us in the feeling that we need to be in constant communication with a large quantity of people. What's Focus on having quality of communication over quantity of communication. Number two, locate relational opportunities in your geographical location, in real life space. Look at relationship opportunities in your neighborhood, in the schools that you go to, in the places you live, work, and play. 
What are some relational opportunities that you're ignoring there that you can actually build up and strengthen? Number three, combat your pride daily by reminding yourself of the humility of Christ. Like I said, the greatest hindrance to community is our pride. And the greatest thing that will help us in community is humility. So we need to combat our pride on a daily basis. And we do that by reminding ourselves of the infinite level of humility that Christ showed in the incarnation, his perfect life, death, and um, resurrection. Like that was the ultimate picture of humility. He, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's the level of humility we have in Christ that we are called to exercise. Fourth nudge, identify your spiritual gifts, skills, and talents and see how they can help build up the church in love. Each student, um, I emphasize this with them, they have a gift, skill, and talent that God has given them to build and strengthen other people in their church family. First, you have to know what that is. Do you have the gift of encouragement, of of teaching, of prayer, of just of faith, of generosity? Do you have those gifts, skills, and talents? How can we utilize those to help strengthen one another up in love? So identify those things in yourself. Here are four disciplines, the four almost hard choices you might have to make uh, in terms of relationships and community in Christ. Number one, restore your relationship with God through Christ. Our relational difficulties all stem from a broken relationship with the relational God who has made us in his image. Before we can even attempt to reconcile relationships with others and have good relationships with other people, we have to have a restored relationship with God. Number two, seek to have deeper relationships with others. Try and have deeper friendships. Friendships that actually challenge you and encourage you in your faith in your walk to follow Christ. Don't simply have friends where the only thing you talk about are memes and sports and video games or makeup or celebrities. Have friendships that are deep, that are challenging you to follow Christ well. Number three, utilize your spiritual gifts to build up the church in love. This is simply a matter of, you. if you know your spiritual gift, come to, to me Come to somebody and let's figure out how we can utilize them to strengthen other people. Ask, ask anyone how you can help with your spiritual gift so, and so that you can utilize it for the building up of the church in love. And number four, the last discipline is engage in the ministry of reconciliation by building relationships with unbelievers. I challenge our students with the same thing I've challenged them with often. And that's if Jesus says that people will will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another, then we have to love one another well. We have to have relationships that point to the fact that we're following Jesus. And we have to recognize that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. In the same way God has brought us back into a relationship with himself, he has given us that that ministry to do that for others, to bring them back into their relationship with their creator. So the more that we can build relationships and broadcast our relationships, the more Jesus should be evident in our lives and the more that God's love should flow out from us to other people's lives.